Welcome to another episode of Meta Athletes to Playbook, where we bring our coaches' insights directly to you. And uh, B, we've been having a, a couple of different episodes here recently, and uh, today's special one. We got a special guest, but uh, it's also kind of like kicking off. It's like our, our podcast is progressing. We started off with it was really just me, you, going back and forth, community, community items, you know, questions from community, and um, a lot of these insights coming directly from our coaches was kind of like the idea of the podcast, but. Um, We've talked about a lot. I feel like maybe maybe we need to introduce some uh, some other minds, some other coaches, athletes. Um, there's obviously a ton of athletes within Meta Athletes community already, which you know it's, it's great for us to to share some of their story. But um, you know, when we do these podcasts, I feel like we we say a lot of the same things, and we kind of go back to these like main principles. And yeah. sometimes to me, it gets like a little bit reoccurring. And uh, so I'm like, maybe we should bring on guests. Maybe it's a good time for us to introduce some people and. Uh, I started, I was about to do a bunch of research about our guest, but then I was just like, uh, I'll just, I'll learn it directly from him because even though we've, we've uh, started to become good friends, I feel like there's a lot that I don't know. And instead of like looking it up and, and, you know, reading articles and um, even just interviews that he's done in the past, I feel like maybe we should, we should learn directly from him. So we'll introduce him in a second here, but uh, coach B, before we dive in, you recently uh, took a trip down to DC with a bunch of college champions. How was that trip? Look fun. It was, it was, a, it was an unbelievable experience and it was, um, it's something surreal. Like it's one of those things, like as a coach, you, you win a championship and um, it's, it's, it's a humbling experience and it's an unbelievable experience. And you, when you get to the point of an off season, you kind of want to turn the page and you want to move on to the, to the next season because the next season is, is different. And uh, being able to go down there was, um, it was another opportunity to reminisce and something it was, it was really special just to see everybody. Cause a lot of the players were at home, um, hadn't seen all the coaches and all the staff together in one location probably since since the season ended and since, since school ended. And so it was a really nice opportunity to reminisce and um, just remember because um, it, it's it's something that obviously you want to turn the page because you want to move to the next to the next season. But it's so it's so cool to be able to experience uh, the White House, but able to just experience each other again, because that group's never going to be together again. You know, just like anytime you win something with this, with one group or you experience something with one group, it's, it's extremely special. Um, but just remember like that group's never going to be together. And yeah, we, we, we had the opportunity to go down to the white house and, um, that was really cool. Like I was telling one of, um, one of my, our administrators today, it was kind of like, uh, watching 24. I don't know if you ever watched 24, or like you watch all these shows, like you walk in and there's secret service there and it's just really like just formal, you see like cameras on, on trees. You're like, this is, this is like legit. Like this is lockdown secure. It's the white house. I mean, we didn't get to see the president. Um, vice president was there to, to, uh, to give a little, little talk. And then, but it was like every champion from, from the NCAA was invited. So there's like 37 or 39 different schools there, which was, which was really cool to be able to experience all that experience winning with them. Um, but unique experience, but there's nothing better than winning and and I'm sure Devon can probably talk about that too, because I've been fortunate to be able to know Devon since 2013, but the dude wins everywhere he goes, he wins. Like, and that's a credit to, to him and to the people that are around him. But when you continuously win at multiple levels, like that's part of this, like the success, right? Success leaves clues. Like that's, there's obviously something that you're doing right that you you're not only doing for yourself, but you're able to make the people around you better. 
And um, I think Devon's one of those people that makes everybody around him better. So we're we're really I'm fortunate to be able to to know him as a as a friend. But I think it's going to be really special to be able to kick this kind of series off talking to other people. Totally. There's there's a lot of good things there. The first one is when you sent that picture of you in the lawn, like it brought back a lot of memories for me because my dad worked for the White House Communication Agency, and so every Fourth of July, all these families from uh, all types of staff from the White House would able would be able to go and watch fireworks and like there's ice cream stuff cool. everywhere around. So it was like when you sent that picture, like I just totally forgot, but it, like jogged my memory. Like these really good memories being there and uh, yeah, politics aside, just like the history of being yeah. in that area is so cool. But uh, yeah, you teased it. You gave it away. You gave away uh, Devontae as our as our guest today. Um, yeah, it's been it's been awesome, honestly, just to get to know him a little bit better. And you know, we have a bunch of these running group chats. And uh, I, I honestly like I don't want to pump his tires too much, but he's a great mentor and reminder for me too, Coach. We talk about some podcasts all the time, and we talk about Devon all the time. He probably doesn't know it. Doesn't probably doesn't listen to podcasts, but uh, <laughs> he he constantly reminds me of all these things and um, things that you teach and things that you share a ton. And so I know it's a uh, part of it's being a product of you know being able to work with you and, and have your mentorship, but. Um, I really loved what you said about him being a winner because it's not necessarily just about him, even though he's an incredible athlete, incredible human. Um, there's so much that we learn in those experiences that we can then share and kind of, you know, push out to other people and whether it's in times of need or it's in times of maybe just needing that moral support. And I think one of the best stories this year is him t- coming back and, and talking to the team at Quinnipiac before going to uh final, final four, but or frozen four, but um, yeah, Devon, welcome to the pod. Uh, we're pumped to have you here. And uh, first guest. Yeah. First, first, yes. Which is honestly, it's exciting, but, um, there's so much that, you know, there's, there's a lot of community questions that we got, you know, leading up to this, uh, interview. And like I said earlier, I'm just, I'm curious myself, you know, just some, some things that, uh, you've encountered in some of your journey, but, um, man, instead of asking how you are, maybe I'll ask like, how's the, uh, how's the off season. I know that you've been, uh, you've been training. So what do, what do those days look like for you after the season? Yeah. Uh, May, May was, an odd month, you know, I think we were all expecting to keep playing. That was our, our goal was to keep playing. So we didn't really have anything planned for May. So when, when things ended, it was kind of just like, all right, let's just sit back for once and kind of relax. Cause every other summer, you know, I have, I've, this is the first time I've ever been knocked out in the first round. I've, I've made the playoffs every year and made it to the second round every year. And this was the first time getting knocked out early. So a little bit of extra time there to be had. And, for me, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. I think for a lot of our guys, it was too, just injuries and stuff. But, you know, I, my daughter was born December 28th, middle of the season. You know, it, it's a lot to deal with. So just being able to spend time with her and be home every day and, you know, almost, you know, more like a nine to five job. If I go to train, I'm I'm back at a certain hour. I'm home every day. I'm not flying anywhere right now. So that that's kind of been a nice change of pace, especially you know, after last season and, and the fun and the thrill of that, you know, there, there's fun and thrill and in, in spending time with your family and having some downtime as well. So really been enjoying that. That's incredible. Yeah. I've never actually heard it be compared to that nine to five towards the off season, but it makes a ton of sense. It's, it's really controlled. Um, there's probably a lot less stress on you and the, and the family life when it comes to competition and traveling. Um, so that's an interesting, interesting take. And, yeah, there's a lot of things, like I said, that I don't know about you. So I'd love to kind of dive back a little bit into uh, your upbringing, your youth days. Um, I guess one of the questions that came up for me, this is actually a community question that I kind of took a little bit deeper, is um, 
you feel like you had a normal childhood? I mean, obviously the path to become a pro can, you know, there's a lot of different varieties and uh, just options when it comes to, especially in the hockey world, when it comes to which path you want to take to develop and um, maybe certain opportunities where you can be seen a little bit more. Do you feel like you had a normal childhood growing up? Yeah, I absolutely did. I think now more so than when I was growing up, it's, it's a little bit more difficult for that just with these travel teams with every sport, you know, it's, if you're trying to play two or three sports and you're not playing on that spring hockey team, a lot of times, whether it's coaches or those organizations view it as a negative now um, that you're playing a different sport and you're committing time to something else. So they, they kind of view it in a negative way. And a lot of times you can't get onto those teams or at tryouts, they'll look at you a little bit differently or a little bit negatively just because you didn't put those time in during the summer, during the spring with those groups. Um, but yeah, I felt like I had a, a really normal childhood. I played every sport under the sun. My parents were great at that. They put me in everything. Um, you know, baseball was probably my, my true love growing up. All my really good friends that, that I'm still friends with like now they, uh, they all came from baseball for the most part hockey too, but, um, I was usually playing the top level hockey and they were maybe sometimes one or two, you know, teams lower or whatnot but in baseball it was kind of our time to all be together on the same team uh pushing for the same goal and i don't know what age was it it was through our mosquito season i don't know what age that would be now maybe 11 12 something like that it's called mosquito back home it's it's um a key age for baseball and we were dominant my 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 buddies and I, my group, our group was just so good. You know, I think the first year we lost one game and won it all. The next year we went undefeated and lost in the final. Like we just didn't lose. It Told you crazy. he's a winner. Like just how good you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I got to do that. And then I got to get into, I got into some spring hockey. And back then my coaches were great. Like one of my mentors was Brad Bowen. He brought me on to uh, the Vancouver Selects program, which is a spring hockey program of, of you know, the best in you know, the lower mainland in Vancouver areas. And, uh, you know, going into it, I was like, I don't, I don't want to lose baseball. I don't want to stop playing baseball. You know, I'm playing that at a high level and enjoying it. So they were great at allowing me to do that and missing practices here and there, missing some games here and there uh, to keep pers- pursuing that. And and that's something that I think has kind of gone away is, is parents get their kids into these mindset of this is your sport and you have to do this, have to do that. Like that's all you can do start training or whatever it might be at a really early age, which, which is great in itself. But the amount of skills that I've, I've taken from different sports, like B can probably attest my hand eye coordination is, is pretty, pretty darn good. I'd like to say, but um, that's Elite. something that I took from baseball, my ability to, to catch or, you know, pucks get thrown in the air and I can bring them down and catch them or whatever it might be. It's just these small little things and details that I've learned from playing other sports growing up and, um, it, those are, there's little skills in those that you can take on to, you know, other sports or other jobs or other facets of life that that is important. And I think is really important. So, yeah, I mean, coming back to the question, I think I did have a pretty normal childhood. Uh, I played baseball up until I was 13 or 14 years old. And then it was time. It, it was time to make a decision because then it just gets too hectic trying to do both. Um, and then I went to I picked hockey. That was probably the worst day of my life still was, was having to give up baseball to, to pursue hockey in itself. But yeah, my, my childhood was normal. I went to a normal high school. It was actually a hockey high school. It's called Yale hockey Academy, uh, a, a great school. 
just started a hockey program at that point of, you know, bringing players in from, from different towns and different parts of Abbotsford to, to come together. And, you know, it wasn't a league or anything. Now there's all these prep leagues back then there was no prep league. It was basically let's come together. We skate together. We develop together. We train together. Uh, we, we get the best of the best coaching of, of strength training and all that. Um, at least the best at what we thought was the best at that point or what they could manage or afford. Um, and we were fortunate Yale hockey Academy was right beside or Yale secondary school was right beside a rink. So we could just walk over and skate every day. Um, so that was, you know, that was, that was a great kind of tool for me to, to get into the training mode. That was probably when I first started to actually start training and lifting was, was once I got to high school. But this was like a traditional high school. Like, I don't know, to me, it doesn't sound normal. Like, yeah, Yale yeah hockey it, high school. Was, like there's girls, there's like, you do all the normal stuff. Yeah. hundred percent normal. Like you, you go to school um, just instead of, you know, normal students will go to gym class or have these other things. Um, this was built into the curriculum that, you know, athletics or, or us skating and us training these training blocks and skating blocks that we had within our schedules during the week was part of the curriculum and we got credits for it. We got, it was part of gym and whatever else they got to build onto it a bit. And it was never more taxing. Like the, we didn't have to take more classes to, to make it work or anything. It was, it was built in really good. And now, nowadays these prep schools have their own teachers, they have their own classrooms yeah. and all that. So it's a lot easier. Um, but it it's pretty common, like in the Northeast, like there's, there's schools that are starting to pop up like that. There, there's one by Lake Placid where mm -hmm. Chase went to school, like Selects Academy. Like there's, there's a bunch of uh, these kinds of setups that are happening. And I yeah. think it's, I actually started with, with IMG. Like Drew, are you familiar with IMG? Like yeah, that's, yeah, of course. I remember reading Sports Illustrated way back about IMG and about like these kids going to Florida for like sports school. Like they would do school, but they would do sport at the same time. And I don't know if that's going to be the next tier, but the fact that like, what year was that Devon? Like probably 2008, 2009. Yeah. Probably, probably 2008, 2009. Is it, that, I, I would think that that's kind of ahead of the curve when it comes to trying to not create a factory, but almost create like a, like a, the best way to describe it is like a lot of these, these models came from the Soviets. Like if you ever look into the Soviet system of how they would create athletes, they would do sporting like they basically they would do all these sports when they were you when they were their children they play all these games and they decided like these coaches would figure out what sports that they were good in and they would just figure out and start to specialize their training but they would create their schooling around their training and it, uh it makes and it evolve and it evolved yeah i mean if you're if were the, were the russians like like their their main objective to dominate the world right it's probably no different than now but like that was their main but objective. even even from like a, just a very intentional like w making use of our time yeah. like I'm, I'm thinking back to like my high school like recreation gym or you know like we're playing like 15 minutes of screw around like volleyball and then we're playing dodgeball and it's like there's what are you zero, getting there's zero education right and there's i think there's also a very there's like a lack of i mean there's there's definitely like tryhards there's people that go out there and they'll they'll maybe they'll get a good workout but it's in terms of like the whole class like it's not very intentional it's not very you know i wouldn't say that it's driven to to actually you know push somebody in, in some type of capacity so it is interesting img i think is definitely a leader like you mentioned coach b i mean tons i mean tons of athletes you know basketball football uh coming from those specialty areas but um, 
one of the things that Devon that I did read about is you you kind of felt when you were younger, maybe you were a little, little undersized and that could have held you back from making certain teams, getting looks. Um, I kind of kind of pulled like you felt like this little like it was almost like this underdog mentality of like you might be held out for some reason that's out of your control, but it, it kind of flips back to this. One of the things that you always talk about is like control what you can control. Right. And so I'm kind of curious from your standpoint, um, how that guided you or, or maybe it was coaches, maybe it was parents, but if you felt like you're being held back from something that was out of your control, how did you push past that and, and keep going to end up finding these opportunities? Yeah, I think it was just over time. I was, I was really small. I think my, my Bantam draft year, I think I was five to 102 pounds, just like completely undersized um, for, for most kids of that age. Um, so I got, I got ruled out in, in the WHL draft. I got ruled out even before that. My first year Bantam, I made the team, uh, the AAA team. And then a month in, they cut me saying I was, I was too small, couldn't keep up, cut me. So that was something that motivated me as well. And it turned out to be a a good thing for me and actually my my coach when i was playing select i think i played four or five years with the selects academy spring team he moved me to d one year asked me just straight up asked me didn't beat around the bush and say hey you can't keep up up front uh we want to try you on the back end he just came up and said i think your skill set would match perfectly on our back end are you willing to give it a try type thing and i was i was completely open to it so that was actually when I switched to D was actually after my first year Bantam. So right before the Bantam draft. Um, so my second year Bantam, my draft year was my first year playing D and all the scouts ruled me out and said, Nope, Nope, too small, blah, blah, blah. They look at your parents. They go, no, um, he might get there. He might not. My dad's a pretty big guy. He's, he's a sturdy guy. Uh, my mom's on the smaller side, but they all just ruled me out and say, no way, no way. We're not going to draft the guy. I think I was, 44 points in like 46 games or something my bantam draft year uh we went all the way to the western finals and lost in the final and we had three first round picks our goalie was a third round pick like we were a loaded team so people were watching it's not like you know i was playing for a small team or a, a division two team or something where i'm just not getting eyes people aren't seeing me people were seeing me and just ruling me out right away and that was funny to me it was just you know they weren't going off my skill set and what they saw on the ice, they were just projecting right away from there without even talking to me or, or getting to know who I was. And that's just kind of how it works at that age. And is the, the bet on draft is, is a crapshoot a little bit and they just pick and choose, you know, the biggest guys and hope they, they pan out. So uh, that route didn't go for me. The WHL wasn't for me at that age, but you know, I, I kept going, I kept pushing. Um, I made the major midget team as a first year which not a lot of guys do. And I wasn't expecting to, I honestly didn't even want to try out. Uh, we, <laughs> we were up camping with like a bunch of cousins up, you know, near Kelowna and my dad's like, we're driving back and you're, you're doing these tryouts. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't even want to play on this team. Like I don't, I don't even like those guys type thing. Like they're, it's not for me type thing. I, I just wanted to stay in my lane, but my dad pushed me to, to go to those tryouts and ended up making the team. And, you know, I was undersized still, I was still small and, and whatnot, but it was good experience for me to play against bigger guys right away. And then my second year there, they named me captain and and I tore it up. And uh, then I ended up going the, the junior A route and I had the same issues there. I was too small to be in the NHL draft, you know, first, my first year, not way too small. No way. Won't, won't make it second year draft. No, no shot. 
was until after B got his hands at me on me there in my freshman year that one scout must have said like all right we can we can make this work but even at that age I was still undersized but it was just continuous people saying I was too small I remember vividly I you know I wasn't I didn't just get any sort of scholarship not a scholarship but a commitment to a to a BCHL a junior A team nobody would just say hey we want you on our team let's sign you right now type thing they made me all go to those their little development camps their summer camps to to get seen first and I ended up going to Langley's and showed up and and just dominated I knew I was the best player there like no I'm not trying to be you know arrogant or anything but I just I had a great camp and you know I felt like I was the best player out there and they kept bringing up like what are you going to do against you know our six four wingers in the corners I said I'm just going to outskate them and, and stay in front of them and you know, they're, they're not quicker than me. I'm going to get the puck off them before they get to the net. Like, yeah, if they get the net front, like they're probably going to battle me and stand in front. But you know, if I can block the shot or, or push them to one side and let our goalie see it, there's fine. And I felt like I had really good responses to their questions and they just kind of shook them off. I'm like, nah, you're too small. Like, you know, maybe we'll give you an invite to, to the main camp. And then I ended up going to Surrey the next week for their camp. And after the first skate, the the coach pulled me in and said he wanted to sign me. And he had he had a really good eye. The the coach there actually was Matt Earhart, who played um, at Quinnipiac for Rand Pecknell. It was a hundred point scorer there as well. He's on the banners in the building, and uh, he he had a really good eye for it. He saw me one time and and pulled me in. He said, "Let's sit. Let's sign you right now. We want you on our team." And um, that's kind of how I ended up in Surrey. And they developed me and got me to Quinnipiac right away. And uh, the rest is history. I, That's amazing. Going through the, yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. Going through that mindset, right? Because you know, I've got a a teenager right now too, and uh, similar experience. He got cut from a team, and um, navigating those emotions and navigating those uh, just a, you know, trials and tribulations of trying to get a thirteen year old at that time a twelve year old to understand you're not good enough for this team, or somebody else said you're not good enough for this team. You know, that was a, you know, he, he got over and he got through it, but it's like a challenge to, to overcome. And I know we have, we have other parents that listen to this and other athletes, like, what are the things that, how did, how did you navigate those experiences? Because I think it's, it's hard. Rejection is hard for, for adults to, uh, to experience. It doesn't matter if you're 30, 40, 50, like you get rejected and it kind of hurts. Like obviously children are a little bit more resilient, but like how, how were your parents and how did you overcome some of that? you know, the naysayers, right? People kind of doubting you. And uh, cause I think that's difficult for a kid to be able to experience. So how did you navigate that? Yeah. I think B, you say it all the time. You're a product of the people you surround yourself with. And um fortunate that my parents, my dad was very driven and motivated um, to, to help me be great. Um, and it wasn't so much like, Hey, you need to score goals. You need to do this. I never got yelled at for, for not scoring or, or whatever it might be. The only times I ever got yelled at growing up was when I just didn't work hard. I didn't put the effort in. So I hated having my dad come drive me to practice and stuff. Cause I, I wanted that day off or something, but he was always there, always drove me, always stayed and watched the whole thing. So he really drove me to, to put my full effort in every single time. And, um, and then even the product of the people that surround yourself with, or that you surround yourself with was just a lot of really good friends. You know, when I got cut my first year Bantam from the triple A team, I went down to the double A team and like three of my really, really good friends were on that team. And I got to enjoy that and enjoy hockey. You know, if, if I stayed up on that triple A team, I would have been playing at the best level, but would I really enjoy it? Probably not. 
probably not. I probably would have really struggled. I would have had, you know, I would have had challenges there too, but just the group of guys there, I wouldn't have enjoyed as much as I did, you know, going down to the, the lower level and, and playing with some of my really good friends and having fun and being able to smile and enjoy myself. So just having the right people around you, I think have really, has really helped me in, in my journey of, of getting through challenges and whatnot. And, um, and being able to talk about it too with your friends and, and your family and, and being able to have open communication about, you know, that was tough for you or that was frustrating for you and having people recognize it and know when you're, when you're kind of carrying something, you know, cause you might not always show it, but, or, or talk about it, but they can see it and how you, how you carry yourself that you're struggling with something. So just, I think the people around me really helped me, you know, put my next foot forward and keep moving on. Totally. I think it's uh, something that me and B talk about all the time, whether it's coming from a place of encouragement, support, showing that, you know, showing that you care, or if it's um, sometimes it's like just leading by example too. Sometimes you don't even, you know, the communication is just through being in a group of people that are are executing. Um, yeah. It's, it's really interesting because when I brought that question up about you being a little undersized in my head, I'm just like, Oh, this was just like a small phase in, in DT's careers, like Kiwi's Bantams. And then, and then it kind of like took off, but it sounded like it was actually a source of struggle even past that, like even getting closer to, um, you know, prime time and decision-making in your career. So that is, that's pretty interesting to hear. And um, one of the things, another question that that we had for you was, and I'm kind of pulling this just from hearing you speak and some of your answers. It sounds like your dad was like a, a good mentor for you, your, your, your mom, your family, like everybody, you know, being there to support you, but obviously being an athlete, coaches are probably the number one source of good mentorship, right? So whether it's peewees, bantams, it could be baseball coaches, hockey coaches, like there's sources of mentors. Um, we've had conversations. We won't bring up any names, but there's, <laughs> there's some coaches that, you know, that you respect and, and that you appreciate. There's some coaches that maybe do things that turn you off. Um, when it comes to mentors in your life and, and coaches, or even maybe we just kind of dial into just coaches. Um, what are things that you feel like kind of command your respect a little bit more and, uh, and what you would look for in a coach? Yeah, I think to me, it's, people that learn to understand you and how you operate and what drives you and what motivates you. And then also what really gets you going. So a couple, two big mentors for me are, are, are B here, obviously. And, uh, and Reed Cashman was another one. He was the defense coach at Quinnipiac when I was there, went on to work with Hershey for a few years, the Washington Capitals. Now he's the head coach at Dartmouth. Um, him and B probably had a, a million conversations about me growing up or when I got to school about how to motivate me and how to get me going. And, um, you know, it was tough for me at first to, to let these guys into my life and let them, you know, or for me to trust them and what they were saying and to know that it was, you know, the best version. They were trying to just get the best version of me. So that was, that was definitely a struggle for a little bit, but yeah, B B really got through to me eventually. It took him a while. I think he can attest to that. It took him a little while. Um, just I think being from the West Coast and then going to a school on the other side of the world, not knowing anybody there at that point. You know, I I'd known a, a few of the guys briefly or met him once or twice, but you know, you're not going there with with a friend group in in place to you know, help you through things. So we were all trying to learn together. And I think that kind of put a block up in me a little bit is, you know, these are all new people to me. I don't know anybody here. I got nobody I trust. And it took me a while to, you know, 
let people earn that trust for me. And once that, once I did, then it was, it was a game changer for me, but it definitely took me time to, to let these people into my life and, and let them be part of it. So, uh, it wasn't easy for me to find people that, that really I could trust and, and let push me and get me to the next level, but being Reed Cashman were two of the ones that definitely did. You know what? It was a, um, it was a challenge in and of itself, but it was, it's, it's one of the most rewarding stories to be able to see. Like I've t- told you before, like it's so rewarding to be able to see the the man you've grown up to, but not only the athlete, but like the human being that you've grown up to is just really impressive. And um, I don't remember if you know this, but like Reed and I, like if we told this to you, Reed and I would talk every single day. How do we motivate this kid? Like, how do we get him? How do we get him to be better? Because I honestly, I would tell him all the time, I'd watch a game or I'd watch practice. I'm like, this dude makes the game look so easy. I was like, it doesn't even look like he's trying. I was like, he doesn't realize like how much more he has in the tank to get to the next level. And um, I remember Reed would be like, he, cause you'd be the first guy off the ice, right? You'd be the last guy on the ice. You'd be the first guy off the <laughs> ice. And we would try to pride ourselves in having guys who like, who's going to be the last guy off the ice. It wouldn't, it wasn't going to be Devon. <laughs> it would definitely wasn't going to be him. <laughs> and he'd be like, how do I get him to do this? I'm like, and at one point I, I forgot what book I was reading. Um, but it was like the basic thing, premise of it was, was to try to create ownership. I'm like, read like anything that you ask the kid to do, it's not his, like, so he's not going to want to do it. Like once you get him to understand that his development is within his own control and everything that he wants is going to be of his own volition, then he's going to let you guide him. It's like that old adage, like, uh, the teacher appears when the apprentice is ready, right? When Devon was ready, he was ready. And then when he was ready, he was not only moldable, but coachable, but like teachable. Right. And that's what we always try to pride ourselves in is, is getting everybody to realize that they have the potential to do really amazing and powerful things. But you need coaches, you need people around you to help guide you. And sometimes it's just like, just to be a sounding board. And I remember I I texted Devon. I was like, when you get here, like, what do you want to do? You know what I mean? For training. And then, so, cause I respect that he understands his body and he knows what he needs to do. And I'm like, all right, like, I'll start working on things. It's he came to the realization that he knew what he wanted and he was going to be, be willing to do whatever it took um, to get there. And I can tell you a story, like it was going into his junior year and um, he's like, he's like, B, he's like, I want to get faster. I'm like, all right. I was like, we'll do speed work every, like twice a week. And it's, it'll this will be your warm up before practice. We'll do some plyos and we just designed a little routine. that was like 10 to 15 minutes. It was him. Derek Smith, Tommy, it was like three guys, three guys evolved into six guys, six guys evolved into 12 guys, 12 guys went into 15 guys. And it was something that because he wanted to do it and recognize it, other people realized like Devon's going to do it. I'm going to do it too. And then when he left, it's continued, right? There might not be as many guys, but people realize, all right, Tuesday, we're going to do, we're going to do extra speed work. Like that's what it is that we're going to do. And it's because he made the conscious choice and decision that he wanted to be coached. And it's no different than anybody else that listens to this podcast or it's in meta athletes or anybody that is, that's not even in it's when you, when you decide that you want to do something, you can do it, but you just gotta, you gotta care and you gotta value and, and hopefully you're going to be willing to listen to the people around you. But um, it, it's, it's impressive to see what you've done and, and I'm proud. Thank you for, for allowing me to be your mentor and coach. Oh, this is, this is incredible because I mean, the first thing you said DT is like, um, when you're, what you're looking for in a coach or what you would describe as a, a strong coach and mentor, the, the learn to understand 
idea. It to me is it's so simple and anybody could do it, but not everybody chooses to do that. Right. And so, um, you know, I, like my mind immediately went to, if you went to like any peewee Bantam, like if you went to the parents and asked like, what are you looking for in a coach? They're, they're probably looking for like championships, player advancement, like all these things that, um, you know, in their head would, would chalk up to be a great experience for their kid. But if you don't have a coach that is learning to to understand them or cares at a high level, you know, truly for their development and like individually for their development, then they might not have a great experience. And um, it's, it's really interesting to hear from you because you've had, you know, such a variety and experiences and coaches. And um, it's one of those things where it's, it's what I think about B too. And I think, I think really highly of B not just from his breadth of knowledge and um, his ability to um, educate and, and bring people to speed, but, he has such a high level of care. And like, to me, that's what he made a difference in me. Like I started like getting off my ass a little bit and, and training and eating better. And it was because he would text me and be like, he'd like be on me and, and like check in. And I was just like, why does this guy care so much? And to me, it like, it like flipped on. I was like, dude, I need to care about myself as much as this guy cares about me. And I feel like as a coach, like that's really all you can really ask for. Right. Like, sure. There's like technical things, there's plays, there's, there's all these, like, you know, there's playbooks, there's, but um, there's that quote B that I'm drawing a blank on, but it's essentially it's like, you know, people don't really, they don't, people don't really care how much, you know, people don't care how much, you know, until, until they know, know how much you care. care. My to me, of, yeah. Dude, I think that that's like, it's, that is the greatest quote when it comes to mentors and, and coaching. And when we talk about manipulation and marketing and we talk about like, like people's intentions and like why they're there and, and why they're showing up. And um, so I love that DT. I think it's a, uh, it's something great to look for. I think it's also a great reminder for even just like parents we have so many parents of the podcast that, you know, have youth athletes. And um, I think that that's what people should be looking out for is, you know, like, are they, are they trying to figure out what motivates and demotivates? Are they learning to understand, you know, maybe why this kid's in a rut or maybe why they're not pushing themselves to their, their potential and um, it's fascinating to me. I'm sure this, this probably even happens at the pro level, but DT, it seems kind of late, like at the college level to kind of like make that flip and make that switch. Um, but there's a, there's kind of a, there's a follow-up question that we had to that in addition to um, just mentors and coaches. Um, what do you feel like, you know, throughout your career, you kind of focus on from like a professional development standpoint, you know, maybe it's like not hockey specific, not gym specific, um, were there like professional development opportunities or resources that you kind of found yourself to kind of keep yourself sharp, maybe like outside of the, the sports arena? I don't know. Um, I mean, there's well, you're, only- you're a reader. You're a yeah, big reader. Books. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's knowledge learned in books to me, to me when I read and, you know, B recommends pretty much every book that I do read these days. Um, but to me, that's just, it kind of just grounds me brings me back to to the principles he's instilled in me that you know over time you you forget or you get a little loose on um or you go through a struggle or something or or you know our team's struggling and it, it's starting to frustrate me or or different guys and you know in a lot of these books it helps you realize and recognize that a lot of it's out of your control and and figuring out what you can control and focusing on those things and then the results will come and the results don't matter and that you know certain instance or aspect of what you're doing so to me yeah books books are a huge a huge thing um b's got the list if you need it um <laughs> but different there's different tools and uh, you know I'm, I'm just big on recovery too um making sure i sleep well eat well i have my gadgets i have the things that i need to to keep me feeling good and feeling strong and 
uh, B says it all the time. You're only as good as your ability to recover. And in the pro game, there's, there's a lot of gadgets and a lot of different things that a lot of different guys use. And um, you can agree to disagree on a lot of them. Some of them, you know, I look at and I'm like, I don't know if that does anything um, for me. I don't think it would help me or it's definitely individualized a little bit to, to where certain guys like certain things. So there's not, you know, one tool or one pro development thing that I think fits everybody. Um, besides obviously sleep and nutrition, that's just universal at this point, but, um, no, no certain, no certain thing that I really have keyed in on. Um, you know, I have my routines of what I do and what I do to recover. And, you know, I'm pretty strict on that. I'm strict on getting in the gym. I hate missing days. I hate not being in the gym. Uh, B I'm still like one of the first guys off the ice, but then I go, I'm right back in the gym. Like it's to me, you know, I I've skated since I was three years old. So it's skating, skating is skating. You know, I can get better out there. And when I'm out there, I'm out there to get better, but I'm not staying out there to shoot a hundred pucks. It's just not me. It's not in my DNA. And certain guys are, you know, certain guys are that way is that's where they, you know, make their progress and make their gains. And to me, it's, it's in the gym for me, it's being, you know, lifting weights and working on my movement and that's the big thing i'm big on is making sure i'm moving properly i feel like i'm really in tune with my body whereas a lot of guys just go in the gym and you know they might go in and work out with b and just have b tell them what to do whereas i feel like i can go in the gym and i can auto i can for the most part i can correct myself to put myself in the right position so that i'm taking strain off certain parts of my body so that they don't get worn down you know i i prevent injuries and all of that. So I feel like I've become really in tune with my body and what it needs and how I move. And I know when I'm moving improperly, or I know when I have a bad rep, if, if we're doing speed work and stuff, I can feel it. So that's, that's something that's really pushed me and helped me is just knowing how my body moves and knowing what it needs. Yeah. That, that level of awareness, I think is really important. And like you mentioned, there's probably a handful of people that they just kind of go to the gym and they tune out. Right. And they like, maybe they just go through the motions because they have like a, a playbook or a program that they're doing, but they're not really like, you know, could they've gone a little bit harder or could they done a whole day a little bit longer. Um, so with that in mind of you being that, like that high level awareness and being so in tune with the way that your body works, how do analytics play into like your world? Like obviously analytics is something that over the last 10 years has like boomed in the sports industry from baseball to football. We see it in hockey. Now we see iPads all over the place. Um, I don't know. I don't take you as one of those guys that like, you know, here's a, a stat and, and it kind of like motivates you to do something else or to change. And I kind of like just got that from your answer. But um, what do you think? How do how do analytics kind of play into your world of, of being a pro athlete? Yeah, I think the one sport that it probably has a bigger impact in is baseball, I think, because that's that's just an individual like you versus the pitcher. So you have to look at your launch angles, your, you know, your positioning and how you're swinging and all that. And, and hockey analytics is more of a broader range and broader aspect, um, more so towards the team. So we have, we have a great analytics department, um, player wise, we don't use it at all. There's nothing that we individually use to, to change how we play, but the coaches use it to view how we're playing as a whole or, or where we're struggling. You know, there's so many different things of, you know, expected goals against versus actual goals against. So sometimes you could give up six goals, but your expected was, you know, two. So they they use those to see kind of as as telltale signs of how things are progressing and, and trending. And 
um, you know, they, they do the charting of it to see, you know, we're going the wrong way, but the results are still there. So they can, they can bring that forward to us and tell us, Hey guys, like we're winning games, but this is where we're trending right now. And it could get ugly quick if, if we let this continue. So coaches coaching wise, they use it a ton. Um, our staff does a good job of getting video in front of us. If we need, um, we, you know, we all have the login to whatever. I honestly have never watched video since I've gone pro, but um, I, I'm not joking. I just, I, I can't do it. I can't sit down and watch my shifts. Um, but, but a lot of our guys do, that's how they learn, right? We all learn in different ways. And to me, that's, to me, I feel like I have a level of awareness of, of how I played. I don't need to go watch clips to, to justify if I played well or bad or, or to see different things because it has no, you know, a certain play doesn't have an effect on me after the game's over or after the play's over. So why, why do I need to go watch it type thing? Um, if there's something that's bothering me, I'll go to the coaching staff and say, Hey, like, let's look at this. I think this is something that's going on, or they'll let me know if they've watched my clips or video of something they're seeing. But to me, I, I can't sit down and watch my own video. I don't even think I have a login to be honest, but, um, yeah, that's, that, that's just my way of learning is, is I feel like I know, I know my play style. I know my body. I know how I feel during the game and, and I can all take mental notes of that. I don't need to go and, and reaffirm it with anything. Um, because to me, that's just going to make me think about it even more or second guess what I'm doing. Um, instead of just sticking to my program, cause I know my program works. I know what I do works. I know how I recover works. I know how I sleep and eat and all that works. So if I have a bad game to me, I know that's going to be an outlier. It's just, it's just chopping his wood. Awareness. His, le- his level of awareness is like on another level. And so how do you think that develops, right? Is it something innate, right? Because there, I've known you for years, but I think it's something like it could be informative for, you know, to be able to share is because I think that's one thing that Drew and I try to help others with a lot is like developing that level of self-awareness. So I think self-awareness is a skill that not a lot of people know how to develop. Um, or even aware that they actually need to get better at it too. Like I've read leadership books and self-awareness is the number one thing. Like if, if you want to be able to be a really good leader is you got to have a high level of self-awareness to know when, uh, when to say the right thing, when to say, when to not say anything, what, you know, what actions to be able to take self, self-awareness is huge. Like I think as a, as a professional athlete, if you say something, I think there's things that can resonate with a lot of other people, obviously maybe in a different field of field of study or different walk of life, but how do you think that level of self-awareness is, you've been able to develop? Like, what are the things that you do? Like, do you meditate? Like, you know, how do you, how do you develop that self-awareness? Yeah. I used, I used to meditate a ton. Actually, my wife and I did a lot of it. Um, we started during COVID we've kind of gone off it now. <laughs> the kids kind of make it a little bit more tough. And I think me falling asleep half the time during the meditation kind of annoyed her, but um, meditation is a great tool to kind of just help yourself relax. Um, center yourself and and then afterwards if you want you can go to sleep or you can think about hey this is what happened during our day this is how i feel like we could have handled something differently blah 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 but i think just having people around you that push you can help you really be self-aware of what's going on and, and how you're doing if if you know if you're just going through the motions every day and you don't have somebody that's you know watching you or or being all over you like when we're in the gym, be like, you're there, you're present. You know, it's not like you just put the program up or hand us the sheets and go and sit in your office and uh, talk about Pepe, but um, it's, you're there, you're present, you're part of it. You know, it's, you, you show the cues. Um, 
so that we all learn it and understand it. And you can tell some guys, some guys take it, some guys don't, you know, it's, it's not just a swing, a home run swing every time. As soon as you tell somebody a cue, they're going to understand it. It takes time and knowledge and, and repetition to understand how to move properly and how to understand like what works for you and, and where you feel a little bit off and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, you have to tweak things here and there and change things. Some things aren't for you. Some things are and, and understanding that and, and finding what works for you and what doesn't. And then those things that don't work for you that you just need to work on. That's, that's also something that you have to be self-aware of understanding. I just need to get stronger at this. I need to work at this. Um, so that's just, it's something that I've built over time. And I think B has been a big part of that. I think Reed Cashman has been a big part of that, of, of my on ice development of understanding how I play and move and, my stick position and my feet position, how I pivot, all of that, how I read the ice. He's been a big part of that as well. Yeah. It's really interesting because the two part answer of, you know, there's things that you're doing on your own to kind of build up this awareness level, build up the repetition, but also I loved your answer on the people that you surround yourself with too, which you kind of alluded to earlier, but also trusting them at a level that they are looking out for you and and what's best for you. Right. And, um, be, we, we talk about this all the time, but like just being open-minded, right? Like trust, being, yeah. yeah, like trusting and being open-minded, but also something that you talk about all the time is like, understand at a high level, like where this information is coming from, who's telling you this, what is, what are their intentions? Um, and so, I, yeah, I think that's, that's a, it's an incredible answer and, and something that it's just interesting from the pro athlete perspective, because you, if you look and you watch games there's so many, and maybe they're younger athletes now, or I see it a lot in hockey sometimes from like quarterbacks, but they'll want to like, look at every single thing. Like they'll literally hop off a shift, go onto the bench and immediately go to an iPad to watch their last play. And uh, it's just interesting that, you know, you're saying that's not for you, but it also like brings out this storyline that not everybody thinks the same way. Not everybody is going to treat themselves in the same facet. And there's things that work for you that don't work for other people and vice versa. Um, You know, there's probably people on your team or people in the league that they watch every single clip and every single shift and you never logged in. Right. So I think it's just a good reminder that, um, you know, you got to figure out what works for you and and maybe what doesn't work for you. There's a, there's a couple more questions and they're a little bit more lighter questions. And so we'll kind of wrap up here with a few fun ones and B, I don't know if there's anything you want to throw in the mix, but um, one that I had earlier and I kind of answered it myself by asking a question early is, you know, if you weren't playing the NHL, what, what do you, what would you see yourself doing? I kind of answered it myself. You'd probably be playing baseball professionally, <laughs> but if you don't do that, probably. if you're not an athlete, you know, if you're not winning in, you know, winning Stanley cups and you had to choose a different profession uh, we know you're a finance e-com guy from school, but what would you kind of see yourself in or or what profession kind of uh, draws interest from you? Oh, man. Um, yeah, baseball would definitely be the the top of the list there. Uh, a couple too many shoulder surgeries now to throw baseballs anymore. But um, now, now, if I think about it now, if I said this years ago, it was probably some crazy like astronaut answer or something. but with with where i've gone with my life and with the training aspect of it i would i would love to get into strength training that would be something that i think i would enjoy too i think i understand i have a level of awareness of being in the gym and and knowing and knowing what i'm doing you know i call even the you can ask shazi i, I call out the interns half the time for, for telling me to do the wrong stuff in the gym at these days like I'll, i do it all the time like it's it's you know and, I, and it's not because i feel superior to them or i feel like i know more than them 
I just feel like I have a level of awareness and they're there to learn too, right? That's why they're interns. They're there to learn and, um, you know, B's there or Shazi's there at DU to hold them accountable. But, you know, I want to be there to hold them accountable too. Cause you know, just cause they're, you know, the strength intern doesn't mean that they know more than me necessarily. And it's not that I mean, no more than them either. You know, we're, we're both there to learn. I'm there to get stronger, learn and get better. And they're there to do the same thing too. So uh, for me to strength training would be a, would be a fun challenge for me, I think. And uh, if I ever got to that point of wanting to do that, I'd be at Quinnipiac right now. And, you know, you'd probably take my white, job. I'd, I'd, be at the, I'd be at the whiteboard <laughs> with B right now, learning <laughs> and getting my butt kicked by him on everything under the sun. You know, I've seen him do it to his interns. He, he challenges them all the time. And um, that's, that's a challenge. I think I would love to, to be a part of, you know, I don't know about all the book reading and, all this, the schooling that goes into that. If I could skip that part and just go work with Theo, do it. I I honestly had a feeling you're going to say that. Like if you were to ask me, that's, that's the answer. I, I would actually pick for didn't. Him. I had no idea. Well, and I, it's, I thought maybe coaching or something, but I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, kind of, me, kind of is, I'd right? love to get into management or something like that, but that like, you know, that's I think, too simple. I you think know, the I, was to, being, I was trying to go something off the board away from sports, yeah. you know, but there's nothing I'll, I don't think there's anything I would do that wouldn't be part of sports at this point. I think the bomb would be a good front office guy too. Cause well, the level of awareness, like to be able to understand not only himself, but like to be able to lead and manage and, and, and recognize what everybody else can improve that. I think that's, that's a, that's an unbelievable skill set. I mean, the good to, news we could talk about that in a few years, be when I'm done playing. Right yeah, now. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Keep playing. I was literally just about to say, B, as like, you know, from his plus minus, I don't think we have to worry about any type of other profession right now. I think he's good <laughs> to go. But um, last one that we had for you, this is a, one from the community, is would you be happy or would you be okay? And we know that you have a son, daughter. If if they wanted to pursue professional athletics as a career choice like would you be happy with that would you would you kind of I, I know that you're the type of guy that would probably let them pick and choose and have their own experiences but um internally you know like would you be okay with that or would you rather than to have maybe a different type of profession yeah no I would absolutely love for my both my kids to to play sports and and pursue it professionally you know obviously in my head I'm thinking of you know, my son should play golf and my daughter should play this. I'm trying to think warm weather sports so I can go outside and get a nice tan while I watch them. I'm not trying to sit in a cold rink all the time either, but, or, or, you know, in the rain all the time, but yeah, absolutely. My, if my kids want to pursue sports, that's, that's huge to me. I feel like I have a lot to give them and a lot to offer them in that aspect. I feel like in a lot of aspects, I, I have a lot, I want to teach them over time and, and, bring upon them things that I've learned that I want them to learn as well. But if sports is, is something that they enjoy and they love to do, it's I'm all for it. And, you know, I'm not going to be sport specific or, or picky. I want my kids to play in everything under the sun, you know, figure out what you like and, and play and meet different people and friends and things like that. And, and then, you know, I feel like then they'll have a different perspective and a better perspective of, you know, what they think is for them and what drives them and what they're passionate about. The, uh, the golf one stands out to me. Cause I think my biggest regret in life is not starting to play golf at an earlier age. Cause, uh, I'm trying to play catch up now and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty tough, but I just remember going to like golf camps and things like that when I was a kid. And I, I wish I had, uh, I wish I had stuck with that. Um, 
one last thing that we have for you, like something that uh, I bring up all the time, but like in our group chats or our texts and, you know, I'll say something or somebody else will say something and you'll be like, Hmm, sounds like something you can't control. Like, I think that that's like a classic, <laughs> like, that's what I think about you. And uh, when I think about you as like some way that's just kind of like, kind of like guiding people towards like, Hey, it's, it's stoicism. It's like a, it's a, it's a way to, you know, not create this added stress or, you know, really focus on what's priority. And it's something that I think about you a ton when I, when I'm in these group chats, is there something that you read or a quote or something that you've learned recently that you feel like uh, has brought you a ton of value in your life? Um, one quote that stands out to me, be will know it. It's from Inky Johnson. Uh, commitment is what you say you would do long after the mood you set it in has left. And that's something that's really stuck with me is, you know, a lot of times going into training camps and stuff, you sit down and the whole team sits down and the whole management's there. And they talk about, you know, the Stanley cup is our, you know, our goal this year, our goal is to win it all. We're, we're good enough this year, blah, blah, blah. And then everybody claps and you leave. Right. It's, and then everybody goes about their business of what, of what they're doing, but you kind of forget about, you know, that commitment that you made at a certain point or when things get tough, people, you know, ease up a little bit or, don't give it their all in, in the tough circumstances. So um, that's a quote to me. Like I, I made this commitment that that that's what we're going to do. And I've made this commitment to my body and the goals that I want individually. And I'm going to stick to it no matter what. And, um, you know, just put one foot in front of the other every single day. Know what I, you know, my level of awareness, I feel like I have it's it's stick to it. And, um, you know, sometimes I have to tweak things or, or change things that happens. You know, I'm not perfect either. You know, I don't have the perfect routine. I don't have the perfect system. I don't, I'm not perfect in any aspect, so I can always learn and, and get better, but just the basic routines and principles that I have and the commitment I have to what I do is, is kind of what keeps me going and drives me through, you know, the, the dog days of the season and the tough parts and, you know, the rainy days and whatnot. The process. Yeah. Shop wood, carry water. It's exactly yeah. right. It's, I mean, Inky's an incredible person, but that quote, I don't think I've heard that one. So it's a, it's a great one to latch on to. And uh, yeah, I think it says a lot about, you know, just honestly, just being a pro athlete, getting to that point and, and continuing to stay and strive as an athlete is, uh, you know, having your mindset on a certain goal, but it's going to be the one step in front of the other, or what am I doing today? Or what am I doing in this hour to, to maximize? And so, yeah, yeah I think that that's a great quote by Inky. Yeah. And, you know, to me, hockey is an incredible career i'm very fortunate to do it um and play this as my living right now and, and make a good living doing it but it is a business you know there, there's players coming out of college coming out of you know the minors coming from europe that are that are striving to take my job you know my job can get taken any day there's people like just their goal is to take my job and get to this level and there's only a certain amount of spots and positions that you know, can be filled. It's not infinite. So that also drives me to to continue to get better, to continue to learn and and recover the right way, especially as I get older and in in the back end, back nine of my career, um, is is making sure that I'm in tune with that and and stay structured to it and keep working because you never know. This this game is is a crazy game and it's a crazy business. So you never know when things can end for you. Is that wild of a perspective, Drew? Like it's, it's crazy. Yeah, well, it actually, but, it just jogged for me. We kind of skipped over this a little bit earlier, but I think we can we can kind of wrap on, um, you know, the storyline of 
of the Quinnipiac team reaching out to Devon and, and kind of getting some like words of wisdom from, you know, alum, but also this incredible story of you being able to tell that team to go look up, you know, at the ceiling and see, <laughs> you know, champagne up on, you know, stains up on the ceiling from when you guys want to won a championship. And so I think, you know, I don't know how comfortable you are Devon sharing this. Cause I know that it wasn't really like publicly shared, but I think one of the biggest stories, at least from like our community, when we're kind of sharing this out and we're celebrating B and, and, uh, and the whole team was, you know, we would love to have just been there at that conversation and, and hear what you, you know, hear what you, what you told them. And like, obviously something there, you know, made a difference and, and really helped Excel just even from a you know mental standpoint, um, their ability to achieve what they had, you know, set out to, uh, to achieve at the beginning of the season. And so what, what do you think was it that made a difference in that call or, um, what do you feel like you left with them that um, that was helpful for them in maybe some some of the deeper times of winning that championship? Yeah, yeah, they kind of reached out and said they felt not even as a team, but a lot of it was them as seniors or, or fifth years is that they'd underachieved in their time at Quinnipiac and they hadn't, you know, reached their full potential of what they think their team and, and their abilities are. So to me, what stood out was just kind of the pressures that have been put on them, the distractions of, of being, you know, the top team always or, or winning the ACACs and projected to win, projected to do this. And, um, you know, there's all those rankings now and on Twitter or whatever, you know, sites that rank where they think teams will finish or even just every week there's the pairwise rankings in, in college hockey. And then there's the USCHL ranking. There's so many different rankings and they were number one in pretty much all of those all year long. So in their head, they're expecting to win. I think they're expect, they feel like they're expected to win by everyone. And in their heads, they expect themselves to win. So I think sometimes that can help you get away from what the goal is. And that is to, to be the best team and play your best every single day. And I think they got into kind of a mode, a little bit of, just expecting that they were going to win instead of going into the game, knowing they were going to win and playing the game they needed to win. So I think that's kind of what I instilled on them is there's all these distractions, these things around you that are trying to influence you and, and be part of it or people, you know, to me, the one thing I told them is there's going to be all these people and, and friends and family that reach out and, and want a piece of what you're striving for and what you're trying to get to. And to them, that was the national championship. And everybody wants to feel like they they're part of it and have had their, you know, their little piece of it and whatever it is, hold the trophy or, or there at the end of the celebration, or just knowing that like, you know, they're t you're texting them back and thinking, you know, they're part of it, that type of thing. And I just told them to just put it all to the side and, and just worry about the guys in that room, what you guys are striving for, how you guys are doing it, and just focus on that. And, you know, if if the people care about you, they'll get down to Tampa, they'll get down to watch, they'll get there, they'll they'll find time to to talk to you. But you don't need to focus on them and getting everybody tickets and doing all those little things right now because there's a bigger goal in mind, and that, that's winning the national championship. So um, that's kind of what I left them with. And, you know, we, we talked a few times briefly throughout, you know, it started after they lost the ECAC championship. And then over the next couple of weeks, we kind of just stayed in touch and kept talking and kept, you know, reiterating. It's something, you know, that B does all the time is reiterate the little things, the little details. And we just kind of kept on it. 
Yeah, that's, it's incredible to hear directly from you. And, um, you know, it's cool hearing like you talk about mentors, things that made a difference for you. And then, you know, in the midst of your career to be able to turn around and, and be that same voice, that same, uh, you know, even if it's just helping them and guiding them back on track, like, like Coach B does all the time to uh, to the priorities and, and what they should truly be caring about at that moment. Um, it's an incredible story. But uh, B, I don't know if you have anything else. You know, I think we can kind of wrap it up for today here in a little bit. Um, it's been awesome to learn more about you, Devon. And one more thing I wanted to to kind of give a shout out to you is, uh, you know, like I'm fortunate just being in the marketing and the media space. I'm, I'm fortunate to, to know and, and work with a ton of athletes. Um, and I'll say that you are probably the most down to earth athlete. And even though you're on this podcast talking about how like you're the best on the ice and things like that, you probably are the most humble too. And um, I just wanted to give you a big shout out because a lot of the things that you demonstrate in your day to day, you know, like you're not really, you're not on social posting a ton. You're not looking for attention. Um, we even have this running, this running joke in group chats that you're kind of hiding from the camera in, in most scenarios. Um, I just want to give you a shout out because I think you have such a high level of integrity and uh, you know, when we're texting and, and you respond to me that you're like, dude, I have, I have values and principles. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's hilarious to me because, you know, like you just, you just have that high level of integrity. And so I wanted to give you a shout out because I, I think that, you know, people like yourself do deserve it. And uh, you do a ton of good, you know, you, you're being recognized by the league for leadership qualities on and off the ice and, and giving back to communities and, um, you and I have personally got involved in some stuff when it comes to uh, being able to to leverage and give back to communities that are in need. So I just want to give you a big shout out for that. And uh, Coach B, I don't know if there's anything else, stories or anything else you want to share, you know, before we hop off, but uh, I'll shoot it over to you. No, I don't really have anything else to share outside of uh, anytime I hear, hear the word integrity. I recognize a, a teammate of, of Devon's, uh, Joe Fiala, who <laughs> Where it's a uh, it was a running thing of of uh, you know the guys at Quinnipiac and, and that group especially it's a spe- it's a special group that's that's in my heart forever but um, they'd always they'd always have they always say this running thing like have integrity right like own up to your mistakes like accountability is a big thing that we always talk about and Joe maybe I don't know if Joe will ever be on the podcast but he's a uh, he's a character and he's a one of a kind but he was. Uh, especially human being being that anytime I hear the word integrity, like he, he comes, he comes straight to my mind. Um, yeah. And I just want to thank Devon for, for obviously spending the time, taking the time out of his, out of his day in the off season to be able to speak with us and, and hopefully start this new segment of the podcast, but, uh, appreciate him and everything he's done and, and the kind words he's been able to share, but he's a special human being and everybody sh- in our, everybody should be a Colorado avalanche fan. <laughs> I'm just happy B didn't tell the uh, inverted row story for my freshman no, year. No, I was going to ask. No. I'm not we'll save that for the second appearance. It's not Thursday. <laughs> we'll save that for a Trash Talk Thursday podcast. Oh, that's awesome. Well, DT, appreciate you coming on. Everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll catch everybody next week.